we're in, in a series called Songs for Life. It is, uh, it's a recurring series that we do, uh, and it, it's almost always out of the Psalms, but the, the, the Bible is just full of poetry and prayers and songs. As a matter of fact, nearly two-thirds of the Bible is poetry. That's amazing. Um, I think, because I've always thought of it so didactically, right? So I like hear the things and the true facts, but it, it, and it, it, it says those things, those things are there, but two-thirds of it's poetry. And so these songs that we need uh, for life, it's the, it's the prayer book of the people of God, it is the song book of the people of God, the Psalms are what we need to handle the turmoils, turmoil of life, yeah? Um, it addresses, I just don't know that there's a part of our soul that it doesn't speak to <laughs> at some time and some point. So uh, we are going to be in Psalms today, uh, Psalm 103, uh, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, psalm 103 is where we're at. And, and this psalm, I think, is a pattern for um, how to handle all, all your problems. Like, this is it. Like this is, like, this is how you approach all all of the problems of life, this, this psalm is the pattern for it. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, so this is the one you've been waiting for, right? And this ha- fix them all, right? So this is it. Psalm 103. Let's just read it because it's one of my favorites. Um, it's a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord, Yahweh, works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made it known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He'll not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so Yahweh shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant, remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdoms, kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. Oh, you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obey the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. This, um, this psalm, um, 
here's the deal. Life is, um, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but life's full of problems, troubles. It's full of them. Um, I'm gonna broadly break them into two categories. Uh, there's the external problems, right? Things that happen outside of you, right? The, uh, they're everywhere. Things that are primarily external. Uh, war, famine, loss, hurt, injury, abuse, accidents, all of these things that happen outside of us. Life is is full of problems that we will encounter. But there's also a a second category, right? Uh, I'm going to call them internal (laughs) problems, right? Uh, I just came into the world with my own set of problems already without all of the stuff that happens out here. Right? I came into my own struggling for, for who I am in the world, what it means to, to be a, a man in the world, what it means to be a, a husband, what it means to be a father. I came with doubts and fears and all manner of issues before the war of famine, accidents, and abuse. And, and don't get me wrong, sometimes some, these things, um, there's a connection between them, right? right? Things that uh, happen... Um, internally sometimes affect what's going on around you, yeah? External problems are sometimes caused. Uh, I remember uh, a comedian, I don't know why I remember this so well, maybe because I've just referenced it a thousand times since, uh, but this comedian was telling a joke about how his favorite show growing up was uh, The Incredible Hulk. You remember The Incredible Hulk? as a TV show, uh, and David Banner, every week, uh, he would go from town to town, he would travel, and they had this really sad song, they played on the piano, and he would just wander from town to town because he had been uh, infected with this uh, radiation that, that caused him, when he get angry, he would, he would turn into this monster, this huge, strong monster, and so he'd go from town to town trying to stay, keep people safe, and he would go into this town, and, and every week, something would happen where he would get in a fight, and he would have to turn into the Hulk to save the situation. And the comedian said this, he goes, after watching this, I thought for a while, like, who gets beat up that much? Like, every week this guy gets beat up. Maybe the problem is you. Maybe if you stayed home and worked on some social skills, this wouldn't happen. And I just always thought that was so great and so funny, and I just kind of use it in all kinds of situations, like your friends would come to you for advice, and be like, oh, like, I'm so sad about this, we broke up again, and I'm like, how many times does this have to happen before you begin to wonder if the problem's you? Right? Like maybe the problems in you, maybe all these things happen in your life are your fault. You ever thought about that? And I say it jokingly, but the reality is is that that sometimes the things that we struggle with inside, the fears and the pain and the hurts, those result in problems externally as well. And external problems uh, or external events affect us internally as well. How we in the soul, in the center of our being, respond. You get fired from your job, an external issue. Maybe you didn't do anything, there's layoffs, the economy happens, and you get fired from your job. Do not think that doesn't come with a set of internal issues. Or the reverse is true. You get a promotion. How do you handle this in my soul, in the inner of my being? The way that we tend to handle this, by the way, just being humans, is we get fired, we think, woe is me, why did this happen to me? We get the promotion, we're like, I deserve this. And we're like, that's our, the twisted insides of our nature. We, just, we, we kind of do that. And so we have these external and internal things, and there's all of these different ways to manage them. How is it, how, so the things that aren't in our control, They're just out of our control. But there are things that are inside of our control, and can we handle our thinking and our feeling? Can we manage what sometimes just feels like a crazy nest of 
chaos in our soul? Can we move to a place where no matter what happens in life, we can feel confident, secure, that we can operate from firm standing? Can we get to the place where Paul, this guy who writes later, and he said he's saved in this miraculous way by Jesus, and he, he later writes letters, and in one of his letters, he says to the people, he says, you know what, I, I'm not in need, I'm not talking about being in need, here's what you need to know, I've learned through my relationship with Jesus how to be satisfied if I have plenty, or how to be satisfied if I have very little. How do we get to where Paul was? No matter what's going on outside, that our soul is at rest, that there's peace. And I think this psalm points the way. Uh, Before we get to this, I I just need to tell you this. In in Genesis 1, this is my setup. Genesis 1, there's this this great opening. This is amazing. It's the very beginning. It's where everything came from. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. I love that phrase, without form and void. There was chaos. Tov bavohu is what it says. I just like that because it rhymes. I remember that because it rhymes uh, in Hebrew. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's this chaos and God begins to speak into this chaos order. He begins to order the cast. And this, this Genesis pattern actually kind of repeats and, and, and reverse and forward all the way through Genesis and even into Exodus. This, this pattern of God speaking order into chaos and then human beings sinning and chaos coming back. Let me give you an example. You've heard the story of the flood? It's reverse creation. God was hovering over the face of the water. He speaks order into the creation in this place where life can actually flourish. Right? Because you can't flourish in chaos, right? In the Tov Bavohu, you can't have life flourishing. So God speaks order into it, and then what you see happen when sin happens is that the chaos returns and rises back up. That pattern repeats, not just in the environment, but in the stories of people's lives. You see it in some of the, the great fathers of the faith, uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. What you see is when they decide to try to grab the blessing that God has already promised for themselves, when they decide, I hear what God has said, but you know what? I think this way is better. I'm going to try it my way. What you see happen is that chaos comes and begins to rule and reign. And when you get to the New Testament and God begins to describe, actually even before the New Testament, the prophets even promised this. What, what we're promised is that God will come and he will fix us. He will give us a new spirit. He will give us life and that his spirit will come and dwell inside of us and begin to speak order in the chaos that is us. To begin to order these things because we just come into this world with this, how, how are you supposed to make sense of what, what feeling do I trust? What, what thought do I trust? What, how, how do I trust anything that comes out of me that is inside of me? Uh, there's this great quote uh, by Augustine. Uh, it's in his confessions. Uh, Augustine, this African uh, uh, bishop, he said this. If I had to get a tattoo, this is what it would be. I'm not getting a tattoo, though. I feel like once you cross like 40 and without tattoos, you're done. Uh, so, but if I had to get a tattoo, I think it would be this. It, it, Augustine said, I am a burden to myself. Yeah, like I, I feel that intensely. <laughs> I'm a burden to myself. There's this chaos inside of me, and when external things happen, I do not help it with my response and how I engage in it. I'm a burden to myself. 
And so uh, that chaos, the spirit coming into our lives, so for Christians, what it means, the spirit comes into our life and it begins to order the inmost being, how we think and feel where do we put those things? Not that we all of a sudden are just even keel and level, but that there's sadness and there's heartbreak, but it's put in its proper place. And there's great joy, but it's put in its proper place. And there's mystery and there's wonder and there's didactic rules, but they're put in their proper place and it's not just chaos and we can operate and live in this place that is ordered by the spirit and life can flourish, yeah? So how do we get there, Right? I think I'm a little bit sympathetic to all the people that are trying to get here. I think that's one of the things that humans are trying to do. Uh, uh, even, you know, it's a phrase in the last, I don't know, a decade or so, you hear people say things like, I've got to take care of me first. Um, I'm a little sympathetic uh, because at least that's your guiding light through the chaos of all that's happening, right? And don't get me wrong, it's a stupid way to live. Uh, but I'm sympathetic that you need a, I need a straight line through this mess. And what we have in Scripture, when God has promised us to, to place his spirit through faith, when we have faith in Jesus, that he places his spirit in us and, and begins to give new life in that way and order these things for us to put our passions and our desires in the proper place, what he's promised is that there comes flourishing. And, and if you're a Christian, this is the path and this is the way. If you're not a Christian, I hope you are convinced that this is obviously the best way. So let's get into this. Psalm 103 is... Um, it is an exercise. There's no like heading. Sometimes they'll have a heading that tell you what's going on, uh, why it's written, the situation. Uh, Psalm 103 doesn't have that. It is just an absolute exercise in sheer concentration on Yahweh. That's what it is. Uh, it's kind of got three parts. It's got the opening part where the author is, David, is preaching to himself. And what he's preaching is, is roughly like you need to, you need to praise God. And then the middle part is that long, from verses uh, 6 all the way through 19, he's listing the reasons that he should. And then at the end, he just becomes overwhelmed and invites everybody and everything to join him in, doing the, in, in, in this exercise of praising God. Angels and mighty men and you and me, come on, we're going to do this. And so he invites everybody. And that's how the sections are broken down. In this first section, uh, he says this. He starts out this way, bless the Lord. Uh, your translation may say praise the Lord. Uh, the idea of blessing God is that we say out loud or that we in our minds, consciously assigned to him the honor that he's owed, right? We say great things. We, we, we praise him. We, we bless him by saying these things about him. He begins to preach to himself about it. He says, self, you need to think about all the things that God's done for you. That's just how it starts. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. You need to think about, you need to praise God for all of the things that he has done. And then he begins to tell everybody else about it at the end. To express joyful gratitude for what God is like. This is what the God you worship is like. And he expresses gratitude. And he's speaking to his soul, right? His whole being, right? His soul for, uh, in, in biblical concept of is, the biblical concept of soul is the, the very center of your being. Uh, the place where your will is, 
the place where your reasoning is, the place where your desires and appetites are, your passions are. Like the place that you, it's the place that you live out of. It's, it's the thing, like we think that we think thoughts and then act on them. Eh, not so much. We, we live out of the center place of our soul. You, we are what we love, right? And he talks to the very, he's talking to the very center of his being. Not just with your mouth. Don't just give lip service, but man, my whole soul, soul, I need you to be praising God. And then he goes through this exercise of remembering, of telling these old stories, of what God has done and what he is like. I think it's really funny uh, what we remember and what we don't. Um, this week, uh, several times, I, as I was kind of preparing this, I just n- noticed and kind of cataloged uh, the random thoughts that would just jump into my head. Past thoughts, remembering random things. What I remember and what I don't remember stuns me. I remember the most insignificant detail of an event that happened 25 years ago. But we've literally been in a city before, and I've been like, I like this town. And my wife will go, we've been here. And I'm like, I've never been here. She's like, we stayed here at this place. We've been here twice. I'm like, I don't remember it at all. It's amazing what I can remember and what I don't. I, I, I remember, there's things that just, that just, Get in your head and they stick. And there's things that you can't get in your head through your thick skull no matter what. I don't, isn't that bizarre? The things that tend to stick for me and for most people that I know, uh, unfortunately, are the hurtful things. The unhelpful things. I can tell you every mean thing any kid ever said to me in high school, junior high. I remember every single one of them. Can't get them out of my head. I'm sure somebody said some nice things at some point. I don't remember them. But I remember the hurtful things. Same thing with things that are done to you. Like you remember the hurts and the slights. Some of us can't get over imagined hurts and slights. And they just won't come out of our heads. What we remember is shocking. And that's what God, that's why God actually tells us what to remember. Like, he's very insistent about this because he knows how frail we are and that what we remember actually affects us. Uh, way back in uh, Joshua, they're actually they're about to enter into the land, and God says this to Joshua. He's like, pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulders according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in times to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you'll tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be, able to, uh, shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. He's like, you're not going to remember this, but you know what? We're going to make... A monument. And when your kids ask what it is, it'll remind you to tell them what God has done for you. This is not the first time, by the way. Like, actually, before they even left Egypt, God goes to rescue his people. They're in slavery in Egypt. And he goes and he rescues them, taking them to the promised land. And as he's, as he's bringing them out, there's this weird place where all these plagues, it's like, in the, in the, if you're reading the story, it's a weird flow because it's this very dramatic buildup to these 10 plagues, the acts of decreation that God sends on Egypt. And then all of a sudden, right before the 10th one, there's a pause and there's a lot of detail given about a festival that they're going to have for the rest of their life. 
bizarre. And at one point in the explaining of it, he says this, this is Exodus 12, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. When you come to the land the Lord will give you, as he's promised, you shall keep this service. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You'll say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the house of the people in Israel, uh, of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. He knew they were going to forget, so he gave them a feast and a festival to remind them forever that he saved them from Egypt. He knows that we're going to forget. In Deuteronomy, he wrote this, take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that, I may, that they may hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. We seem really good at forgetting helpful things and really good at remembering unhelpful, less important things. It's part of the human nature, part of the brokenness that after the fall, we became so curved in on ourselves that we became obsessed with these ideas and these things. But it's really important to know that in the Bible, remembering doesn't exactly mean what you and I think of as remembering. In the Bible, it's a, it's a little bit more. Uh, it, it, for example, in, in Genesis, uh, God talks about remembering. Uh, it's in the flood and, and Noah's uh, in the ark <laughs> with his family. And it says this, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. In Genesis 30, uh, God remembers Rachel, listened to her and opened her womb. In Exodus 2, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God didn't forget where he put Noah. He didn't forget Rachel. That's not something that God does. In the Bible, remembering means calling to mind in such a way that you act. God never remembers and then doesn't act. When God remembers, he acts. That's what remembering means. It means, um, it's way different than uh, shallow remembering. It's more taking it deep into your soul. There's a difference in that. Uh, Shallow remembering is like just saying, you know, we're being able to repeat the thing back to you. Um, Have you ever gotten like down on your, like this, like, are you, are you listening to me? Have you ever done that? If you have never done that, you don't have children. Because uh, if you have children, you've done that. Because you, at some point, you have to get down on their level and go, are you listening to me? And they always say the same thing. Yeah, I am. And I'm like, I do not think that you're listening to me. And they're like, no, no, I'm listening to you. And I'm like, you're answering what I'm saying, but I know that you're not hearing me. And what we mean is, the thing that I'm trying to tell you is important enough for you to look me in the eyes. The thing that I'm trying to tell you is so important that when I leave the room and come back, you can't have already forgotten it, which I know is what's going to happen. I need you to hear me. I need you to take my words deep into your soul. When I say, hey, I'm going to run inside real quick. Do not go in the street. Okay, no, no. Did you hear me? Yeah. Hey, what did I say? Don't go in the street. Do you understand that I mean by don't go in the street to not even look at the street, right? I don't even look at it. 
Like, you, should, you shouldn't be able to see the street from where you are. Do you understand? Yeah, 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 I get it. Don't think, that's what we're talking about here. Is taking it so deep in your soul that you can be trusted to live from that place. That's what remembering is in the Bible. And so it's this constant way to do it. And remembering becomes a way to fight. When you get to the New Testament, Paul basically takes up this whole exact thing, uh, uh, but he, he words it just differently. In, in Ephesians 6, it's what we kind of commonly call the armor of God. Uh, Paul says this, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times, in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What he's saying in these verses is, I need you to remember. Let me show you, let me, let me explain. When he begins to describe the armor of God, he says, for example, uh, fasten on the belt of truth. Where did that truth come from? It was a gift of God. I need you to remember God's truth. That's going to be a thing that guards you. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, according to the Bible, where does your righteousness come from? Is it something that you earn? No, it's a gift of God. I need you to remember the righteousness that God has given you, that he is your righteousness. And shoes for your feet, putting on the readiness by the gospel of peace. Gospel is the announcement of the good news. I need you to remember that if you're going to fight this fight. If you're going to stand firm, you have to remember that God is your righteousness. You have to remember that he has brought the good news. In all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith, it is a faith that he has given us by gift. On and on and on, he begins to list the gifts that God has given us. And he's saying, you need to take these on and put them on. You'll need them for the fight to stand firm. Remembering becomes a way for us to fight because the enemy absolutely loves chaos. There's victory for our enemy in chaos because it's in disorder. You can't, you can't see straight. You can't make sense of anything. And, and it's in those moments of chaos in your feeling and in your thinking and the hurt and the pain and all the things that go on inside of us that the enemy loves the chaos and we're looking for a life raft and he hands us an anchor and we make a mistake of grabbing it and sink. The enemy absolutely loves the chaos of our feelings, the, in, the chaos of our soul, and the way that we fight that disorder is by remembering what is true and what is real. He's saying in this, when he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's saying to his soul, stop forgetting God's works, start acting on them, start fighting. And then he begins to list his benefits. I want to look at just a few of them. Uh, let's just look at these here in the middle. I love this. The, the Lord's works, righteousness, and justice for all who are oppressed. What an amazing promise. The, the widow and the orphan and the sojourner among us, the oppressed. Uh, he, makes, he made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the people of God. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and he abounds in steadfast love. He'll not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Here is one of the great benefits of our God. He wants to forget. He wants to forget your sin. 
And if remembering is a thing that you act on, then he says he forgets, which means what? He's not going to act on it. I love the image that he uses. He says, as far as the east is from the west. If you go north far enough, you'll eventually go south. But you go east, you'll, you'll, you'll never end up going west, right? East, as far as east is from the west, that's how far he sets our iniquities from us. That's what he says. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. They're gone without a trace. When these things begin to assail you, the things that you've done, your shortcomings, your failings, the things, the hurts that, have been, that uh, you've done, the hurts that have been done to you, when you begin to think of all of these things, when the lie of the devil is that you do not deserve this, when this is drudged up in your heart and your mind and you can't seem to forget the things that you have done, this is what you have to remember. You have to remember that as far as the east is from the west, because of who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished on the cross, your sins are cast so far away that they cannot be found. Not even God's going to remember them. When Jesus died on the cross and he says this amazing thing, he says, at the end of this, he's about to die, at the end he says this, the last thing he says before he dies is, it is finished. Which is really, it's an accounting word. Uh, the debt has been paid. If you gave me a bill and you paid off the bill, if I, if I came to you and I owed you money and I paid off the bill, you would hand me a receipt and you would write that word on it. Hand it. It's an accounting word. The debt has been settled, which means this. If you have sinned, and you have, if you are sinned, and, and the Satan is constantly dragging up in your mind the thing that you have done, here's what you need to know. That's not yours anymore. It was purchased by Jesus on the cross. It's not yours. It's the, mo- the worst thing that you've done is not the most important thing about you. But for some reason, those are the things that get stuck in our head. And this is what we're supposed to be remembering. Uh, another one is this, uh, is that he loves you. Uh, he does not deal with us according to our sin. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his steadfast love, his loyal pursuing love towards those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the sea, an infinite amount. That's how big his loyal love is. Even in suffering, in loneliness, in pain, and in loss, he loves you. His love is unlimited. That's a thing that we need to rehearse. Because nobody walks through this world and doesn't in moments have time when we feel alone and we feel unloved. We feel separated and we feel isolated. And the Bible says, the psalm says, you need to remember all of his acts of loyal, pursuing love. We rehearse it. Um, This guy named Alec Motier wrote this. I try to say it differently, but it's just really good. Yahweh's unfailing, committed love prevails. The same verb is used of the floodwaters in Genesis, irresistibly covering the earth and swamping every opposition. Just so his love is always there, overarching, and is an active force fighting like an armed man on our side, irresistibly sufficient for every opposition and eventuality. That's the thing that we need stuck in our head. That's the thing that we need to not be able to get out of our mind. And then it says this, as the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
We are frail and temporary, but his love is strong and everlasting. Alec Motier again. Here is perfect parenthood, father and mother all in one, Joseph as well as Mary. Yahweh's love is thus an overarching, constant, powerful, active love. It is a saving love, taking our sin from us, bearing them away to such a place as is ever infinitely beyond reach. And it is a fullness of love, a love that lacks nothing that makes true, perfect love what it is, a love of welcome, protection, warmth and strength, passionate and steadfast, equal proportions. There is no love like the love of Jesus. Gentle and lowly, compassionate, reaching out to us on our level. This is what our God is like. Not wagging his finger at us, but inviting us into a relationship. But yet so many of I, I shouldn't put that on you, my fault, my bad. I live much of my life assuming he's hanging his head and turning his back in disappointment. I rehearse that in my brain. Scripture says that we should rehearse this instead because it's the way that we fight these lies. Uh, In his book, uh, this guy, Eugene Peterson, I'm using a lot of quotes today because they're very helpful. Uh, This is a good book, Answering God. It's uh, how to pray the Psalms, or the Psalms as tools for prayer. Uh, I enjoy it very much. Don't know if it's a book for you, but I have enjoyed it. Uh, He says this, Eugene Peterson says this, the evidence of his benefits, when we look around sharply and attentively, evidence is everywhere. But it's easy to overlook the benefits for very often, more immediately before our eyes, are projects not yet finished. The works in progress that the God of our salvation is engaged in. But if we forget the benefits... We're only aware of our own efforts, our puny self-help efforts at making the best of a bad deal, our haphazard attempts at capitalizing on the chances available to us. If we forget the benefits, we slip into what psychologists label sensory deprivation and are deaf, dumb, and blind to the incessant, dynamic, flourishing salvation work that continues the dominant action of God in our lives. See why I had to read that? I I couldn't have written that. That's real good. When we forget his benefits, it's like we're walking around not paying attention to the reality that he's trying to bring into our lives, the reality of flourishing. So here's what we do. We do what the psalmist has done here. We preach to ourselves on a daily basis. Soul. In the innermost part of my being, stop rehearsing bad things. Stop having conversations over and over that are unhelpful. Stop rehearsing things that are hurtful. Stop rehearsing all of your wrongs and the wrongs done to you and instead rehearse the goodness of God. What that plays out is practically, uh, we could call this gratitude, right? But not like around the Thanksgiving table gratitude. I don't know how it goes at your house, but it's always lame at my house. I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't mean that in an ugly way, but you know, it's like, uh, I'm grateful that, you know, I don't know, normal things, new house, vacations, cars, you know, material things, right? It's fine. That's fine. You should be grateful for those things. But what he encourages us to be grateful for is not just that, but for a father who is compassionate and would provide those things. We are often so grateful for the gift, and he is calling us to don't be grateful to the giver. Be grateful for the giver who's in our life in this way. And, and so gratitude is, is, changes everything, by the way. I think it's one of the greatest weapons uh, in the internal battle of your soul. 
If you're a Christian, gratitude to God is a powerful, powerful thing. Because we live in a world that's trying to take it from you, right? You live in a world that constantly wants to rob you of gratitude. If you were just like deeply satisfied in your life, you wouldn't buy things, right? <laughs> they need you to buy things. So like, look at all these things. Like, oh, do you know that Ford, when he made the first Model T, they asked what color are going to come in? He said, you can have any color you want as long as it's black. That's what he said. Uh, it took almost no time at all for a competitor to pop up and make it in different colors. And so you knew you had the new one by giving a new color. And guess what they had to start doing? Had to start making it in different colors. You know why? Because yeah, I have a car and you have a car, but you have the new blue one. And now I want the new blue one. If you were deeply satisfied and content and grateful. But it's got to be rehearsed. It has to be practiced. Since the world's trying to take it from us and make you dissatisfied, you have to engage in this spiritual battle. Uh, so I've had the good fortune on Wednesdays uh, this last year, and I get, I get to do it for a little bit longer uh, on Wednesday nights when we have a small group. Uh, we also do BCC Kids, and I've had a chance to work with kids. And so one week we were doing uh, a scavenger hunt, which I love. Uh, I hide, uh, we hide uh, clues and candy all over the church. Uh, and... Uh, it was good. And so uh, one of the ones that we did, uh, uh, <laughs> the kids were going as the younger ones, uh, and uh, they go to the first clue. And they pull up the second clue, and they're reading the second clue to go to the second place. And, they can, and all of a sudden, one, one, of the, one of your children starts crying. Uh, if you don't have kids, every parent went like, <gasps> it's fine. Uh, but when your kids like, uh, when your kids started crying, and I, was, I walked over and I got down, I was like, hey, why so sad? Why are you crying? This is what they said. They go, she has three pieces of candy, and I only have two. And I went, hey, man, this is not the last clue. There's more candy out there. Uh, she has three, and I have two. I went, hold on a second, because I'm not good with kids. I said, hey, hold on a second. Let me get this straight. 45 seconds ago, you had zero pieces of candy. Now you have two pieces of candy, and you're sad about it? Because she has three? Yep. Ah, she has three pieces of candy. And I was like, hey, listen. And then I stopped, and I was like, and you know what? We're all that way. I, I wish we grew out of that, but we're still that way. Like, we, like, your parents are this way. I'm this way. You know what? Just keep crying. It's fine. We're that way. You have, like, I cannot be satisfied with what I have because of what that person over there has. You come into the world that way, man. Nobody taught that kid that. Just came into the world unhappy that they had two pieces of candy when before they had none. And we have to practice gratitude because that's how we are. And that's the world that we live in. It has to be rehearsed. It starts in worship. That's what we do here, by the way. <laughs> we, we rehearse the good things of God and who he is. We practice it together. We say it to one another. We sing it to each other. And we declare it to the world. The good things of God, what he is like. And then it must absolutely continue in your daily life, in your prayers. That's what this whole psalm is, is a rehearsal in remembering God's good gifts so that we end up at a place when we rehearse it. Not just know it, not just check a box. Yes, these things are true about God, but remember it, that we drive it deep into our soul so it affects us in such a way that we act on it, and that just takes practice. It takes practice. That's what this is. This psalm is practice. Aren't you glad someone wrote it down? You can use it. Every day you can get up and you can take this psalm or others and you can pray them. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. You can pray that and weep. Father, there are so many who are oppressed. 
Be with those. Give me a heart for those. And you can rehearse that God is like that and stir that own, up in your own soul. And the Holy Spirit, who you have by, through, uh, in your life because of uh, faith in Jesus Christ, begins to order those emotions and put them in their proper place. And then you can pray. He makes known the ways of Moses, his acts to the people of God. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you can confess your sins knowing that this is what he's like. God, you were so patient with me. You were so patient when, when, when I just every day just want the wrong things. Today I got mad because I only got two pieces of candy and other people had three. Forgive me. Forgive me. And know that his love is steadfast, long-suffering. This is what God is like. If you want a resource, I enjoy this one. This is by uh, Tim and Kathy Keller. Uh, it's called The Songs of Jesus, and it is walking through a portion of the psalm and then giving you something to pray and think about. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, I need to be very careful. It's not a thing that you can just go order on Amazon and everything's going to be fine. Just because you saw a karate kid and took two classes doesn't mean you were black belt. You have to practice every day to drive that deep into your bones and into your muscles. And, and, and it's hard because it's new things that we haven't exercised, but you practice it and you rehearse it every day. And man, maybe one day we can all say with Paul that when we've had a whole lot, we've been deeply satisfied. And when we've had very little, we also know how to be deeply satisfied. The Bible gives us these tools of ordering the things that we experience in this life. So no matter what comes, this, comes our way, when great tragedy comes, when loss comes, when good fortune comes and great blessing comes, the scriptures, the Psalms, praying them, help us put them in the right place to recognize who God is, to place the right value on the right things so that we know what it means to flourish. It's a gift. It's a gift that we have this psalm book, this prayer book. I encourage you to commit to using it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have not left us to sort through our feelings and our thinking on our own because it is honestly just at such a mess. What do I trust? What do I believe? But you, I can trust you. I can rehearse what you've done, that you set people free. Slaves in Egypt set free and brought to you to worship you. Sinners made alive because of what Christ has done, because of the body broken and the blood spilled that we may have life, because you poured out your wrath, just anger against sin on him. We know that we will never be torn apart because he was. May we rehearse that truth that we can never have to wonder how deeply loved we are. Your cross answers that. May we rehearse that. May we practice that. May we live that out. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. Give us courage. Hmm. Overall, just make us more like Jesus. Deepen our love. It's in his name we pray. Amen.